Welcome to part two of the Generations episode from Straight from the CPA's Mouth. In part one, we talked about the different generations, their financial histories and behaviors, and what has informed their financial foundations. Today, we are continuing that conversation. I am your host, Danielle Adam, Communications Coordinator with the CPA Education Foundation, and our guests are Kari Speaker-Smith, partner at Fletcher Mudrick LLP in Grand Prairie, and Ryan Gubik, founder and president of MRG Wealth Management in Calgary. Keep listening to hear straight from the CPA's mouths. I heard that future casting is an essential tool for long-term business. According to a recent poll, 48% of Canadians say they are $200 or less each month away from again? Do you think the energy sector say the economy is too dependent on leaves university with 26,000 considering cloud computing for my business? Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Ryan, maybe you can enlighten us a little, and and Kari. Um, you know, there are lots of articles online that talk about the financial and economic circumstances of millennials. You know, higher education costs, higher housing costs, incomes don't go as far as they used to. Is that a reality, or how accurate is that? Well, I think from a factual perspective, um, when you look at inflation costs in housing, for example, uh, we look at the inflation for the average income versus inflation on housing in Canada. You know, we can just look at the numbers and, you know, from a quality of life perspective, housing's more expensive now, right? So there, there are aspects where inflation on uh, materials or goods that we use in consumer life have outpaced our income levels. That being said, the fundamentals around um, living and budgeting, like balancing your budget, um, haven't changed, right? I think one of the, yeah. the bigger pieces that's changed around that is the access to information and the amount of wants that we have now. So with information, we're able to, um, A, shop and, and look at buying <laughs> more things than before. So if we look at 40 years ago, for example, um, you know, I'm a car guy and I love toys. Um, you know, for a sports car perspective, kids and individuals probably um, might have been able to talk in the neighborhood and, and know what the names of fancy, expensive sports cars are. But unless their parents or their parents' friends had one, they're probably not touching it, seeing it, feeling it, hearing it. Mm. Now you can take your phone, iPad, computer, and basically anything in the world, if you want, you know, a million dollar sports car, you can go on a site, see a video of someone driving it, touching it. You can fly to Vegas and spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks to go rent it for an hour. You can, right. uh, more and more people are using debt to purchase their wants. So you're mm. seeing more uh, material things in society, and that's driving a lot more wants as well. So I think that's different over the generations where stereotypically in the past, it was, you know, to provide for your family and your kids, you know, have a home, uh, maybe a couple camping trips um, and save for, you know, the future. That's changed now to, you know, having quite often, you know, a really nice condo or, you know, a house that, you know, has, you know, the kitchen you want and the stainless steel appliances or the granite or, or things that, don't necessarily add a ton more value to your life, but they're material things that cost money to eat away your budget. Mm. And then instead of, you know, maybe one 
car and taking public transit or no car and just taking public transit, quite often there's two leases involved. Um, quite often from trips, instead of spending, you know, $100 and going camping with the family for the weekend, it's flying to another country or another area and incurring hotel costs, meal costs. And, and don't get me wrong, all these things are fun and exciting. And if they're part of someone's value system, it's, it's good to budget for them. But I think one of the things that we're happening in society right now is we don't teach um, the generations about personal finance. Mm. Um, most individuals don't learn how to budget or basic accounting um, in school or university. So unless they kind of go through the school of hard knocks and go through it and realize, you know, 20% credit card debt is really hard to pay off. So let's make sure we don't have uh, that or focus on paying it down um, or having someone that we trust that teaches these things. Um, it's quite a, a difficult lesson to learn. It, it's easier to spend than it is to save. Right? So I think some of those behavioral changes have really evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, and I, I emulate what Ryan is saying. There is no question that we don't have enough of that basis of that initial training on the budgeting. You know, we had some conversation with some high school students and just talking about, you know, the, get having a net paycheck. Okay, now you've got to figure out this is this is the things that you're going to spend on in a month. How far did that net paycheck go? And that conver- that that mindset was not there at all. Just because well, I have the, the dollar, I can spend the dollar. But not only you don't necessarily have the dollar, but you've got lots of opportunities to get credit to apply. And so you know, I think a big thing in our in our economy right now, we have one of the highest debt loads on average for individuals. Um, than ever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's so many one that out there that haven't necessarily learned on how to manage that and the whole idea of finances. And that's at every generation. Right. But the accessibility is second to none. Like the amount of shopping when the pandemic happened and people were situated at home for those first couple of weeks, online shopping burst at the seams. Um, and so the idea of, okay, well, what do I really need versus what do I want? Um, and long-term, how is this going to impact me if I, if I purchase these things now? A lot of that education is still um, not necessarily at the forefront uh, just because accessibility is so easy. But I, I do see a lot in the younger generation saying, I don't know if I need all the stuff that the people before me had. Mm. Um, you know, if I, if I look at, at Gen Xers and baby boomers acquiring their homes and their their vehicles and and maybe other properties, then I see a lot of the next, those that are just coming into the profession saying, I don't know how much of this I actually need. And do I need to spend all my time mowing the lawn versus spending time socializing with friends and doing some other things versus all the upkeep that might come with some of these things that are acquired and, and, or keeping life simpler. I've heard that many times. I can still enjoy life and, and, and do a lot of the things that the profession will bring to me, but um, I also want to keep life simple. And, and I think, again, with this type of flip over we've had in, in our work and family life right now, people are saying simpler is way easier mm-hmm. um, and, and I can accomplish just as much, mm-hmm. if not more. So, um, yeah, which I think is going to affect how people financially are going to manage themselves over the next few years dramatically. Mm, yeah. I agree, Kari. I've noticed 
um, a shift starting to happen and not necessarily just by generation. It, it kind of goes across uh, millennials, Gen X, and even into some baby boomers. Um, but that shift of, you know, the debt load and the cost, is it really worth the benefit of the material items? And mm. you're seeing even on at TV, like more home, uh, more shows like tiny homes and, and things like that coming up that, you know, people are looking at their job, their life, and saying, okay, is there a different way? Is there a better way for me and my family? And, um, you know, that's yep. going to shape the new generations as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then would you guys agree or disagree in the first half of the 20th century, there are these world wars, there's more scarcity. And so people learn to make more with less. And then as time goes on, things become more accessible. And as things become more accessible, people kind of go haywire because their habits are take when they're able to take. And now we're seeing, like you guys have been saying that, well, I don't need all this stuff. Things are so accessible now that I can let this thing pass by because I know that something will else will be available later on. Would you agree or disagree that that's kind of been the, the motion throughout the last 60 years, 70 years? I just think that this shift has been so recent. Mm. Um, I really think um, what's built up over the last 20 years, excluding maybe the last two or three, has been, yeah, there's a lot more available, but I, there was still a sense of, yeah, but if, if I've worked hard and I really want that, then I'm going to go for it and not sit and wait. You know, I think because we may have seen the generations before us, we thought, oh, they've worked all their life and then they're finally going to retire and then something changes from a health perspective. And so that mind shift of, okay, no things, but the last, you know, certainly our, our economy already had a dramatic shift in the last two years uh, in, the, in Western Canada and certainly right. in the province of Alberta. This pandemic is just another layer on top of that. Mm -hmm. And so now it's more, what do I really need? And, and, and shifting it back and saying, yeah, where am I? Re where do I really want to be in five or ten or fifteen years? I think long-term perspective is what's become the shift versus a shorter-term perspective that might have been there before. Mm. That makes sense for sure. If I could just add on to that yep. just for a second, I think in life um, with people and society, there's always a, a search for balance, and you know that ties into economics, but it also goes further than that in terms of you know, mental health and physical health. And um, many of us are searching for that balance, but it's it's very difficult to find that, that true balance. So what ends up happening is, you know, if you think of a pendulum, quite often I feel we, we swing to one end and then realize, okay, maybe that's too far. And then we try and find balance and then we end up swinging too far to the other end and it kind of equalization brings us back to the center and we end up swinging back and forth. And over time, you know, hopefully the goal is that those pendulum swings get less and less um, wide or broad and we get closer to that balance. Mm. Um, but when you see that in economics and, and what we've been talking about here, you know, you have, um, you know, stereotypically areas where you've, you know, saved too much, maybe worked a little harder, and then areas where you're working less and saving less, the impact of that. You can look at areas in, in physical health, you know, like I know myself, you know, around Christmas, I, you know, try and before Christmas, work out a little bit more, eat healthy, and probably overdo it on the healthy side. 
Christmas comes and then I eat tons of everything in sight and, and <laughs> drink a little bit too much. And then I realize, oh, I've overdone it. And then January hits and I got a New Year's resolution and I hit back <laughs> to the gym and my health. You know, and even in that area, you got this pendulum swing, um, right? So I think, you know, that comes true in a lot of areas of our life. Absolutely. There's always that search for balance. Um, so then how would you describe, obviously, again, in, in general terms, each generation's financial situations as they stand today? Kari, maybe you would want to start us off. I mean, baby boomers, they're shifting into retirement now. There's they're shifting into retirement, but they're definitely, there are in some cases, they're assisting the next generation. Mm. Um, I think uh, a lot of that has happened just, you know, because of the the work hard, play hard attitude. And I'm uh, there's just a lot of diversities in families in that next generation. So I'm finding from a professional standpoint, I'm working with a lot of the baby boomer generation in the question of saying, one, either I've built this wealth and I want to manage it well so that it can get passed on not only to the next generation, but the third generation. It needs to be there because their education is going to be a lot more expensive is mm. the general theme. We'll see what happens after after this pandemic. I have some personal views on, on that maybe changing considerably. Um, but the cost of a car, the cost of a home, um, things to get them situated and settled in they may not have the ability to do that as quickly as what those in the boomers and the Gen X generation were able to do. Mm. And so boomers, I find, are are more the ones worrying. The Xers are saying, I'm just going to keep working. And a lot have morphed into doing something different. But there's also a, a wealth of education in that group um, that can still be transpired onto the next generation. So yeah. it's good to see them still putting back into the professions and the industries and education because there's so much great wealth of information and experience mm. that the next generations can grow from. So right now, that that's kind of where I'm seeing those two generations. And maybe, Ryan, you want to speak on the others. I The only thing I would add on, on the Gen Zers, because I have my own children in that, um, it's really interesting to see their perspective. Um, I'm finding they are driven. They are um, still very excited about the, what the future has to offer. Their entrepreneurial spirit is something exciting, and I'm not sure what brought that, but I think it's because they're almost having to go back and figure out, how can I make something out of nothing? And... Um, I think they're the ones that are really going to excite us and push the rest of us to to keep moving. Super neat. Ryan, can you maybe enlighten us a bit more about the millennials and their situations currently? Sure. And, and maybe before I do that, just jump a little bit into the baby boomers and Gen yeah. Xers as well. I think the other thing that I'm seeing a bit of a shift is the retirementality. So we know what does retirement mean to somebody yeah. and, um, you know, it doesn't always mean the stop work at 55 to 65 and then golf or walk every day. I've seen more yeah. and more uh, individuals that are looking at, for a variety of reasons, like Kari mentioned, a lot of it is intergenerational wealth transfer or setting up their future generation success. Other is kind of purpose and value in life. And although they don't want to work 50-hour work weeks, um, they still want to contribute to society. They still want to be busy. They love them, love what they do. Or if they don't, they want to explore their next um, career, sometimes even in their 60s. 
where people are going back to school to learn new skills. Um, they're still very active, able-minded, and they, they want to contribute and, and add value. So I think that retirementality piece um, is changing. And the longer an individual works and the less they draw down from their investments, you know, that changes the financial picture as well because you need less money um, or your money goes a lot further because your drawdown period is smaller. Mm. From a millennial standpoint and Gen Z, um, I echo and agree with Kari. I'm really excited to see what the younger generations are going to do. I think with some adversity and, you know, looking at a global pandemic right now, um, it's definitely not the uh, the best job market we've ever experienced in the last century. So it, there are some uh, difficulties for these generations to get jobs, grow their careers. And with adversity, I think, comes creativity. And Carrie touched base mm-hmm. on it. And I'm, I'm really excited to see the problem solving and um, the creative options and the entrepreneurship that comes out from that and saying, okay, here's some of the constraints we have. Um, I'm a big believer in, in focusing on the areas you can control and, and you know, put the areas you can't control to your side. Um, focusing on the uncontrollable usually doesn't net a whole lot of positive results, but if you put your time and energy into the areas that you can control, that's where you can really leapfrog and see some really positive um, actions and change. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's where I see those generations. I think for um, a large amount of them right now, it's, it's more on survival. Um, so it's, you know, right. finishing university or if they're done university, getting a job or figuring out, you know, how do they hone their skill and, and also a bit of soul searching, um, figuring out, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And is this what I want to do for the next five, 10, 20 years? Or if not, what does that look like? So I think that's a big piece as well. And that plays into the finances because if an individual is looking at going back to school or changing their financial income streams, you know, that of course changes how much you can save and, um, and grow from an asset base. So there's, there's a bit of flux going on in those two generations right now. Um, generation Z, you know, being the younger generation, um, a lot of it's still in the, the learning. And I think there's a lot of uh, positivism um, in that and figuring out ways to make uh, the world a better place, their country, their families, themselves, and, and looking to create opportunities, uh, not looking for just something handed to them. Mm. Fantastic. So what would you each say is the biggest difference between each generation and the biggest overall similarity between each generation? Biggest difference, if I can jump in, um, you know, those are good questions. And, yeah. you know, if I just thought about it for 15 minutes, I might even give two different answers. But the one off the top of my head, um, I think would be resilience and ability to adapt to change. Mm. I think the um, younger generations, you know, and specifically Generation Z right now, and probably even into the millennials, um, they're dealing with change constantly. You know, and changes happen throughout history, you know, throughout life. But the level and the pace of change that's going on right now, it's an ex- in my opinion, it's an exponential level of change. Mm. Um, so resiliency, adaptability from now versus kind of in the 1950s, um, using, just using the labor force as one example, you know, stereotypically back then you would, you know, learn a skill, go work for an employer. And quite often that employer would be the same employer when you start to when you retire. Yeah. Right. So there's, you know, some level of change within learning new job types of that employer and so forth. But it's not the same level of change that you're going to have right now where, you know, an individual that graduates university, let's say at 22, what does the next 40 years look like for them? 
and the amount of change and resiliency that that person um, needs to have to be successful, in my opinion, um, that's a major, major change from the, the, you know, the end of those generations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I would say the similarities in those generations is the values. At the end of the day, the core values, whatever it is that really drives, you know, and again, I go back to families. Um, if you're talking in a room of three generations, the core values that generally is amongst that family are fundamentally the same. And, and you know, the, 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 the value of, of having purpose and having, um, uh, whether it's harmony or just family is the focus, whatever it is that their core values are, that seems to to be the similarities between the generations. And I think people are more introspective during a time like this that they're starting to discover um, and can bring forward those values a lot easier than maybe they could have when they were really busy in their day-to-day -day life doing it differently before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would say the similarities come come back to to the values. I think each of them have similar values in where where they want the end result to go. The difference might be just the method that they use to get there. Um, and in finances, and Ryan probably sees it much more than I do, it, their, their process and how they make a financial decision is different. But why they wanted to get the end result that they do, whatever those base values are, likely are the same, mm. are very similar amongst the generations, at least amongst a, a similar family. Mm -hmm. I think that ties into some um, advice that all generations um, can really use to add value to their life. And that's really clarifying and getting crisp on what your values are. Because I agree yes. with Kari. I think values are you know, fundamental to just humans and nature and across the different generations. Um, and I also agree with you that we quite often don't spend enough time thinking about what our true values are. Mm. Um, so for example, if your values are family, it's like, what about family is really your value? And what does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? What do you want that to be? Because um, when you're looking at uh, financial planning or an economic perspective, or even just from a goal setting perspective, you know, if we don't have really clear, crisp, articulated goals, um, how are we going to achieve them? Right? So for some yeah. people on retirement, if your goal is, I want to retire when I am 60, okay, you might retire when you're 60, but is, you know, eating canned tuna every day um, <laughs> your idea of retirement? Or is it, you know, still working part-time, spending time with your grandchildren, snowboarding down to a specific country, involved in the community, volunteering, like really get robust and, and clarify what that specific goal is. Um, and that helps increase your chances of success. Yeah. And undoubtedly, it would help communication between people who are approaching the same situation with different ways, you know, and they, they perceive that they're completely different and valuing completely different things. But if you break it down and acknowledge that, no, the values are the same, just the ways of approaching it are different, then that might make things a little more understanding between oh, people. Oh, for sure. We can have, you know, we can have a conversation with three generations in discussing their their corporation and deciding, okay, what way do we want something to go? Do we want to add a new business line or are we selling off on a portion? Are we bringing in investors or are we, you know, all of those options. And when you talk to each of those generations and bring them all together in the room, at the end of the day, it's like Ryan mentioned, 
what is the end goal for everyone? And mm. it, it doesn't mean it has to be this answer or that answer. There could be something in between that's going to accomplish that goal for all the generations. And so decision-making, when they all have a vision of what that end goal is, it just makes the decision-making so much easier with multiple generations sitting in the same room. Mm-hmm. So then I guess my last question for you guys would be if you were to sit with a stereotypical baby boomer, a stereotypical Gen Xer, millennial, Gen Zer, what would your advice be for them in the current context? I would turn the question around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very individual on the people you're talking to. And I understand where you're coming from. I guess I would more ask a question to let them tell me what they think. But, Mm. you know, from the baby boomers, what do you see as your legacy? What do you want to leave for future generations or for the community or or for yourself? What is satisfying for yourself? And for those Gen Xers, where do you see yourself in 5, 10, 15 years? Where do you want to get to? The millennials are right in the thick of things. What are the things that keep you up at night? What are your top concerns and and worries um, to direct on what needs to be rectified? And for the new ones, what are your dreams and aspirations? What are the big, uh, what do they call them, big, fat, hairy goals? Um, Just, you know, thinking big picture and then winding it down to say, okay, well, here's here's the big picture. What are some little things we can do to start inching you towards that, mm. that goal? So it's just because perspective is longer term for the younger than maybe the older. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the path is the same. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's an excellent point, asking those questions. Those questions are really questions that everybody at every point can ask themselves. Sure, baby boomers, there might be they might be shifting more into the retirement thing, but they can still be asking themselves what are their dreams and aspirations and uh, all of that. So that right. that's fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Kari. Um, so let's take the same approach with you, Ryan. What question would you ask each generation to consider? Wonderful. I'm glad you switched it to question because I was going to say similar to what Terry said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think giving advice before understanding the situation is kind of like a doctor giving out a prescription without understanding what's wrong. Um, And the first question (laughs) I always ask everybody that I meet um, that is looking for advice or support is what are your challenges and what do you want? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a bit agnostic across the different generations Um, because you could have someone that's 25 that is really focused on retirement planning at 25 and it's really important that they retire by age of 40 because they want to um, give back to the world or go travel or whatever their goals mm-hmm. are. Um, you can't ever, I think, um, assume anything depending on age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's individuals right. on the other end of the spectrum that are in their 60s and you're thinking, oh, you, you, you might be really concerned about retirement or you know, these aspects just given your age. And they're the complete opposite. They're like, no, I got another 20 years of really good work left in me. I'm really focused <laughs> on growing my business and I want to acquire this. And, you know, so I think it's really age agnostic and mm. more value driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's helping the individual. And I think the advice for all these, and we were talking about it just two minutes ago, is really getting crisp on your values. So, and, and writing them down, um, having a conversation, um, you know, if you're by yourself, have a conversation with yourself and, and write it down. If you have a partner, have a conversation with your partner and 
Um, share with them your values and your views um, and ask them to share theirs. Uh, quite often, you know, we can be uh, with somebody for a year, five years, 10 years or 30 years and not even fully understand um, their financial values and um, the decisions that they make and why. And it really helps bring enlightenment, I think, to the relationship. It helps with goal planning. Um, once you understand that value framework and the challenges they're having, then you can work with that individual and map out um, a strategy and a solution to resolve. Mm. Mm-hmm. Great. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for joining us today. I think it's been a very interesting conversation. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I found that the more we talk about the generations as individual groups, the more we realize that they are the same and that people are people are people. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, is there anything you would like to add before we close up? Uh, just a thank you for letting uh, me speak today. And uh, I encourage any CPAs that are out there to really be sharing your experiences with whichever generation it is you're talking to, because I think we all have a lot to offer each other. And uh, I think that's a great way that we're going to build build up community and build up uh, our economic outlook for the future, too. So. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Danielle, for this opportunity. And, and thank you, Carrie, for uh, sharing your experiences and, and your insights in this as well. And echo uh, what you said. I think each of us have experiences and expertise um, in our own fields. And the more that we can share this knowledge, um, kind of a theory of abundance rather than scarcity, the more that information and knowledge can empower individuals to make decisions that improve the lives of them and their families. Absolutely. Thank you so much, you guys. There you are, everyone, straight from the CPA's mouths. We hope that you enjoyed our conversation and that you maybe learned a thing or two. Keep tuning in to Straight from the CPA's Mouth for more information and conversation. And make sure to subscribe to our emailing list if you haven't already. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the HESHI CPA Knowledge Centre and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.